Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, so that makes you a member of our dedicated community of small firm architects. Come join us on Facebook at The Entree Architect Community, our free private Facebook group. If you're an architect or you're working to become one, request free membership right now at entrearchitect.com slash group. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 225, and this week, my friend Kevin Costello's back from the ranch mine, and he's back to talk about Growing Beyond the Soul Practitioner. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at RCAT.com, FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Kevin Costello, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's great having you back. This is your third round here. Um, so it's good to have you here. You were in episode 138, How to Design and Sell Modern Architecture, which was a great introduction to you and your firm. Um, and then during that episode, you had mentioned that you're, you're partners with your wife. I'm partners with my wife. And so I wanted to have Claire, your wife, come back with you. And you did back in episode 154. And we talked about how to succeed as a married couple in architecture, which was a great episode. Um, to, cause I, that's a question that we get all the time, you know, how do, how do I, as, as, uh, married to my partner, um, how do I run my firm? So that was a great episode. So anybody who has that question, go back to episode 154, um, and go check that out. It's been a while. It's been a while since you were here. Uh, this is mm-hmm. episode 225. And so it's been a while since you've been here. So I, I'd love for you to, uh, share what, what's going on with you and the ranch mine. But before that, let me just let people know who you are in case they haven't listened to those ep- other episodes. Uh, and then we'll get into uh, a little bit of your origin story and we'll, we'll talk about what's going on in your life. So let me, uh, let me introduce you. Kevin Costello is a multiple national award-winning architect based in Phoenix, Arizona. 
He started the firm The Ranch Mine at the age of 24 with his wife, Claire, in January of 2010. And not settling for a hard-hit economy to dictate, dictate their next move, they bought a fixer-upper and experienced firsthand the trials and tribulations of a major renovation. The two continued paving their own path, developing the first Phoenix Green Construction Code project, designing for visionary real estate developers, and creating inspired homes for unique homeowners. Kevin and Claire have continued to push the envelope in designing for Pioneer Spirit, which won uh, them the 2015 National American Institute of Architects contest that named them the future of architecture. That's pretty cool. I would agree to that. Uh, Landed them features on the NBC Today show and with HGTV and had their work published in numerous publications, such as the book is of 150 best places, uh, best of the best house ideas, Architectural Record, Dwell Magazine, Atomic Ranch Magazine, Lux Magazine, uh, and websites all over the place, such as Design Milk, Arc Daily, DZine. So if if you haven't seen them, I'm sure you will. Uh, Kevin, welcome back. It sounds like you've been busy. Uh, I want to hear what's going on over at the ranch mine. How you been? Good, Mark. Thanks. I appreciate uh, you having me back on and uh, having the ability to speak again. Yeah. Yeah. I always love talking with you. Um, you have a, a great portfolio, a great firm. You're very inspiring in what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I love I bringing you that. back and and, uh, and sharing your story with our listeners. It's been a while. So why don't you go back uh, to your origin story? your full origin stories back in uh, episode 138, but why don't you just sort of remind us of who you are, where you came from, and then, uh, and then where you, where you are today. Sure. Yeah. I'll give you kind of like the cliff note version of it. Um, I grew up on the East coast in Connecticut, uh, went to school in Boston, uh, got my undergraduate and master's degree in architecture. And then in 2009, after graduating, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona, sight unseen, uh, to experience a new way of life. <clears throat> and, um, and then when I moved out here, uh, it was basically the beginning or maybe the height of the recession. I don't know what you would call it in, uh, early 2009 and, uh, there's no job. So that's when, uh, I met my wife, uh, to, or wife to be Claire, and we decided to buy a, uh, cheap foreclosed house and fix it up, uh, to, to live in and potentially sell. We ended up just staying in it, but uh, we got that house uh, published on the front page of uh, the Arizona Republic, the, the main newspaper here, and then just started getting uh, phone calls uh, to do smaller projects. We got our bathroom published. Um, we started with bathrooms and then bathrooms and kitchens and then sort of full house remodels and then remodels and additions. And then that led to some new build houses and then some some townhomes and sort of have just built it uh, up step by step over the past uh, eight years or so. Um, and uh, today we are uh, still working out of that same house and we now have uh, two employees since we last spoke. Uh, one that we hired uh, this two weeks ago or last week and uh, one that's been with us for about uh, six months. So. So that that must have been a big step, especially still working out of the house. Yes, it's definitely been uh, an interesting transition. We we are we do have plans to create an office for ourselves that is um, somewhat detached from the house. Uh, but for the time being, yes, it's definitely um, you know going from just a husband and wife to having someone uh, that you previously didn't know in your house every day is definitely definitely a. Uh, a step in the way that, uh, that you live and work. So, um, it was, it was definitely a big transition. So I, I want to dive into this a little bit about hiring, um, and the, and the process and the psychology and the emotion that goes mm-hmm. with hiring that first employee and then, and then committing to a second employee. Cause I think a lot of us, uh, in this community are, are in that position. We're sole practitioners mm-hmm. or very small firms. Um, and to get from that, that working by yourself mode uh, or working with a partner to hiring somebody, that is a huge step. It's, it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of uh, emotion and there's a lot of psychology behind it. Um, especially when you, when you have a home office, you're going to invite somebody into your home 
to work. Do you have dedicated workspace or is it sort of your house is, you know, your, it's your office? Basically, that basically the house is the office. Yeah. yeah. So you're literally inviting this person into your house mm-hmm. uh, to, to work with you um, and your, your partners with your wife. So it's like, that's a whole other level of, yeah. of this. Uh, and so can you, can you talk about a little bit about the process of, you know, what triggered this, uh, the sense, okay, we need to hire somebody, you know, what was, what was that like? Let's start there. Sure. Um, it started probably about, um, maybe a year and a half ago, actually, we started to get, uh, so much work that even, you know, working a good amount of time, we weren't, you know, our projects, it's not that we weren't able to complete them, but they were going too slow, um, for the ability to be able to keep up with what we wanted to be able to do. Uh, so at that point, we actually hired someone part-time first uh, that was sort of moonlighting from uh, their current job to get some after-hour work to help us with some construction documents. How did that, um, so how did that work out? It worked out okay. Um, I, I think it was difficult because there wasn't the immediate um, – the, the, the speed increased a little bit, but it wasn't as immediate as we had sort of hoped. Uh, you know, we were getting about 10 hours a week, uh, but it was kind of, uh, you know, not every day kind of situation. You know, maybe they do two hours then and then four hours then. You know, it wasn't as uh, consistent uh, as sometimes you need it to be, you know, when you really need to push something out. And is that because they, they're working somewhere else and they're not Correct. totally committed to you? Or, or is it that you just didn't have them uh, – working enough hours they were working somewhere else and so it was kind of a um you know a second job for them so we didn't really have the capacity or really didn't want to push them you know to an extreme so uh it was really just a a dip in the toe into the water kind of scenario which helped a little bit you know we set up a dropbox at that time uh so we have all our stuff on dropbox um, and we were able to work remotely and we did start to figure out certain small things of how we needed to work that way, uh, without a large expenditure because we were doing it just on a per project fee. Um, so, so that worked out okay, but it definitely, you know, was only able to handle so much. And then, um, about last summer, um, we just, we got a bunch of projects in, a span of a few weeks and just realized, okay, I think, you know, we're going to have to, we have to bump this up. And, um, we felt pretty confident because we basically got enough work to handle, you know, a simple salary for both of us as well as an employee for a year. So we felt like we had a good, uh, buffer, um, to, to, uh, be able to pay that employee, uh, and ourselves for a significant amount of time to where if something were to go wrong, we would have, a little bit of a fallback. So, so we took that plunge. We got, uh, we would get emails, you know, asking about, uh, if we had job openings relatively frequently. And so, um, we just, we got the time it worked out. We got one that worked, uh, pretty well and had a skill set that was good for us just out of college, uh, graduate. So you didn't, you didn't advertise, you just didn't advertise, waited for the next one to come in, see if it was a a good one, good fit. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, we've been getting, I don't know, maybe one a week or every other week. Um, so we knew that it was relatively consistent. Um, and so part of it was timing. Part of it was, you know, we do keep occasionally if we see a resume or something that, um, or a portfolio that looks really good, we'll kind of keep it just in case. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just uh, an out of the blue uh, inquiry and uh, for a job and the timing was right. And uh, we just pulled the trigger. Yeah, I want to just point out, because people are wondering, why do they get all these inquiries? Um, go back to episode 138 and listen to that story of how Cabin and Claire built the ranch mine um, and what they do. Because the answer is they're all over social media. They have a fantastic website. They work really hard at, at PR and getting published. And you, know, you heard in the intro all the different magazines and they've been on television. And so they work really hard at, at being out there and getting noticed. And so there's a there's a whole process to that, and, and Kevin talked about that in episode 138. And so that's why uh, he's getting these consistent flow of people who want to work for him. Yeah, definitely. That and consistent flow of potential jobs, which is right. possibly more important. But 
Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it kind of worked out. And, um, it was definitely a large transition for us. I mean, even from as simple as, okay, we got to buy like a desk and a chair and, you know, all that kind of, uh, very basic, uh, stuff, uh, where they're going to set up, how are we going to do this? Um, so get into that a little bit. What did you do? How, so how, we went, how did you, how did you figure out where they're going to work in the house and, and, because I'm assuming that you you guys have your dedicated workspaces, but right. to bring somebody into your space, um, what did you do? How did you do that? Yeah, so uh, myself being the principal architect, Claire runs the business. Because we were hiring someone to help with the architecture part, they were going to work in my office slash bedroom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so we got rid of the guest bed and um, we uh, purchased a desk and a chair and you know, trash can and all those super simple things, notepads and uh, pens and like a real office kind of thing um, and cleaned the house a lot more. And um, yeah, so we just, we just did that. We figured in here, you know, closer to me would be better just because on a day-to-day basis, that's going to be, you know, more consistent questions and, and uh, communication. Um, So that was sort of the first uh, Step. The second was sort of figuring out what programs and stuff we would want to use and how we would need to use them with the employee. Um, and then um, schedule, you know, what our, our consistent work says. We had been on a consistent work schedule, but this definitely made us sort of cement it in stone um, of, you know, time to show up at work and time to take lunch and time to go home. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's a variety of of other small things, uh, that we could get into, but, um, those were some of the major ones, I guess. So when you, when you were working with a freelancer, you said that you started building some systems specifically mm-hmm. to work with that person. Did that help with this transition to a full-time employee? Yeah, for sure. Because we had already set up the, basically the server system that we worked on because before it was basically just myself doing all of the drawings. So Claire basically had all of the business stuff on her computer and I had all of the architecture stuff on my computer. It's very simple, almost like a solo practitioner type system. Um, and then when we got the uh, part-time employee, we set up the Dropbox server system and that made me be a little bit more specific with the way that we label our folders and, and all of that kind of stuff so that it could be easily read and communicated and tracked and monitored um, through the server system. So we were able to get some of those systems in place of how to, um, have someone else that's not within my head to know what to do, where to do it, how to save it, you know, all those kind of things, um, and be a lot more organized on the architecture side of things. Would you say that it's easier to have the full-time employee sitting right next to you, uh, than it was having the remote employee or the remote freelancer, um, working with you? Definitely. Um, it's questions are immediately answered. Things can be worked out. You know, I have a huge whiteboard next to me. It's very easy to, sometimes it's difficult to sort of say what you want. Um, so a quick sketch is, is often a very easy way to do that. Um, and then, you know, the other person can get up to the whiteboard and be like, what about this? Um, so there is, there is, it is way quicker. Um, I was surprised when we got the first time employee, how much more work we were able to do. If you could go back and, and do it all over again, would you still do it with the freelancer first and then an employee, or would you just dive right into the employee? It's um, a good question. I, I mean, I guess it depends on the amount of work. I mean, I think for the time it worked out fine because I think it was a very inexpensive, um, slower transition to figure out some things rather than an immediate. Because once you have someone sitting there eight hours a day, you know, you have to be on top of it versus, you know, when someone's swinging by once or twice a week, um, and doing most of their stuff remotely, it's, it's a little bit easier to, to, uh, delegate work, to figure out how you're going to do things, um, because you have way more time to set up for that. It's not as like, okay, I need something now. I need something now. I need something now kind of situation. What, what level did you hire at? Is it a, is it an intern level or is it somebody that's more experienced or somewhere in the middle? Uh, just out of college graduate. So it, is it a concert considered an intern? Uh, I, yeah, I, know, I guess I know they yeah. don't call them interns anymore, but that's, yeah, that's I'm not sure level. what the exact terminology is, but yeah, he got a, he got a, a degree in architecture and just graduated. So 
first first level first job in an architecture firm. Yeah, so there's a lot of teaching involved. How how much time do you think you spend teaching them on what you need them to do? Not a ton. Early on, there was a good amount. Um, you know, just getting the basic stuff up to um, to a level of of uh, normalcy for them in terms of how we work. You know, what does a construction document set look like? What are we trying to do? What are the um, different things. We tried to sort of work that in slowly with things that they were more accustomed to doing, like, you know, 3D modeling and rendering and that kind of stuff. You know, that stuff's, they come out of school, right. uh, you know, typically better at than, um, than, than the boss. So we kind of use that as a fallback to slowly work in some other stuff. So it wasn't just, okay, this is going to be a, a month long boot camp of, you know, how to do CDs and, and that kind of stuff, but sort of slowly introducing one thing at a time with layering in the stuff that they're more familiar at. So it wasn't so overwhelming. So do you, would you say that you're sort of building the systems as you go? Yeah, I think it's definitely changed. I think the one thing I didn't really think about too much was how much it would change how I work hiring some. Yeah. You know, when you do something, because I went, you know, I worked at a fir, uh, two firms in college and then a little bit freelancing outside and then started right away. Um, so I'm, I was very used to just here's my project and I just do everything. Um, and so learning how to delegate um, and how to instruct and what is the most efficient for me to do versus what is the fo- most efficient for me to teach. Um, because early on, it can be a little not frustrating, but you know that it's going to be slower for them to do it. So there's always that feeling of, well, I'll just do it. Um, but then they don't learn. Right. Right. Um, and so there's that, there's that, that balance of how much do you do versus how much do you give off for the future benefit of being able to do less. Um, so that was, uh, a, a very large personal learning curve of, of figuring out how to, really be uh, someone who, who delegates because I had never done that before. Talk about that a little bit more. How, what did you do and, and how difficult was it? And are you still working through that process and that, that, that step of not only hiring somebody, but then making sure that person has uh, enough work and the level of work that they do. And, and like you said, so often being coming from basically working by yourself, you have all those systems down. You know what you need to do. It's easier to just do it yourself sometimes. How do you how do you get over that? How do you get to the point where you know you are like automatically delegating intentionally? Yeah, it's it's definitely challenging. Um, and and there were definitely and still are definitely times where you feel a little bit more pressure because before you sort of just held yourself accountable. You put a checklist up on the board and you just kind of knock through it, right? Um, but now it's kind of um, you have to spend more time up front. Um, it's not kind of wake up and just go at it. Um, you have to sort of plan ahead uh, a lot more day to day, week to week, um, job to job, how you're going to get stuff done, what stuff you can do versus what stuff they can do versus what you know new stuff are you going to put on their plate to – where you have a little bit more time. So you know that you're still going to meet your deadline, but you're still going to be able to get that teaching opportunity in the meantime. Um, so it's, it's a balance of doing all those things. So it was just sort of like any other, uh, you know, design problem in terms of how do I uh, properly use my time, their time. And then when we got the, the last employee, now it sort of doubles and it becomes even more interesting because now you're going from not just a one-to-one, but a one-to-two um, and who does what. And at what time and, and, you know, do you go project by project? There's a lot of different um, ways that you can do it. Um, so it's, uh, it was definitely very challenging at first to think, oh, my God, I got to fill 40 hours a week of work for this person. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to get the same 40 hours a week that I was typically getting because I have to spend a decent amount of my time answering questions and delegating and doing all of that other stuff um, that, that it needs. So then you have to change your expectations of your time as well. How prepared were you for that? Where, where you're, you're doing all the work and now you're, you have other people doing a lot of the work, 
but mm-hmm. you're not doing a lot of the work that you used to do. You're doing a whole bunch of other things now. So right. how, how difficult was that sort of mentally and psychologically to, to shift that role? It was very difficult. Um, I kind of liken to it. I mean, we've kind of always been in that position. Um, you know, we started a firm from nothing when we knew almost nothing. Um, so since, since we were at 23, 24, we've been kind of doing that thing where it's like, yeah, we could do that. And then we figure out how to do it on yeah. the fly. Um, so that sort of practice of when we originally started the business to when we did our first remodel to when we did our first, you know, addition to our first new build, everything is a different new challenge of, Oh my God, how are we going to, to possibly do this? And then I think it just falls back into your original training of, okay, here's the problem and you just got to solve it. And it can be stressful and overwhelming at first, but similar to, you know, even when you think about college or whatever, that first year when you start, I don't know about you, but it was overwhelming for me. I, I had never taken any, I didn't take any art class. I didn't know what I was doing and was so overwhelmed. And then by the time you're a senior, it's like, okay, I do this, 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 here's a project, right? Um, you sort of get into the flow. So I think it's, it's a similar sort of way of just, it's a little overwhelming at first. And then you just got to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And there may be some days that are better than others. Um, but um, I think because we felt we had a good runway, we knew that this was the best time to make the jump. Yeah. The, the um, Michael Gerber in the E-Myth talks about the technicians and the, and the managers and the entrepreneurs. You guys obviously are entrepreneurs. And you were all right. in technicians. You know, you, yeah. you were doing it all yourself. Uh, and now you're bringing on employees. Your employees are now going to be the technicians. And you have to take the role of the manager, which you never had before. Well, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Well, this episode is released on Friday, June 22nd. You know what that means. That means I am in New York City. Are you in New York City this week for AIA Conference on Architecture? If you are, if you're here in New York, come visit our friends at RCAT. And you may just find me there as well. Just look for the big red A at booth 707 at the Javits Center. Some Grab some coffee this morning with RCAT. They've been serving it up all week. Uh, and all throughout the day, their BIM expert, Robert Wagand, will be at the booth explaining their new Revit plugin, Biminit. So check it out. Come stop by booth 707-707 anytime today to learn more about how RCAT can save you time and money finding product information for all your projects. And uh, like everything RCAT does, completely free. Remember, in the expo, find the big red A. You might find me. And if you're not here at the conference, you can check it out online. You can check out everything RCAT has at entrearchitect.com RCAT. Go there now. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. I did exactly that. The same goes for tracking time, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. It's fast, it's easy, it's life-changing. And if you need help at any time, their free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. And if you ever have a second thought, don't worry. On top of your free trial for Entree Architect listeners, you get a free 30-day money-back guarantee. So you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. You can give it a try for 30 days, just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. Check them out to access your free unlimited 30-day trial. Payroll and benefits. I'm just going to let that soak in a little bit. Payroll and benefits. Payroll and benefits. That makes my spine tingle. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business like us. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, and the old school payroll providers, they just don't get it. 
They aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy for you to get it right. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. And to help support the Entree Architect podcast, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Listen up. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. Go check them out at entrearchitect.com slash gusto and claim your free three months of payroll processing. RCAT, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How hard is it for you to go from technician to manager and how much how much do you sort of want to go back to that technician? <laughs> um, it is, it is hard. It is, you know, cause you're breaking that cycle that you're so used to. Um, you know, it's been since the beginning of college that you just, you do a project all the way through. Right. So, you know, for me, it's been about 15, 15 years of that pattern. It's very hard to break. Um, so, you know, I think just, just giving up some of the control is probably the, the most difficult part. Um, because you go from sort of, I don't know how other firms work, but I basically do a lot of the upfront creative type stuff and then sort of pass it off and then kind of do the back end proofing kind of stuff. Um, and so missing that middle part of actually doing it um, not only changes the way that you work on a day-to-day -day basis, but for me changed the way that I had to design because a lot of times you figure out stuff through the creation of the drawings and the models and that kind of stuff. You know, you, you have it sort of partially designed in your mind or on a, on a sketch and then you kind of figure it out through whatever SketchUp CAD, whatever you're using. Um, so figuring out, a, it actually changed the way that I have to think about designing things um, because I'm not with it the entire way through. I mean, I check in on it, obviously, but you're not doing every single thing where you're like, oh, this corner I didn't really think about, right? When you're drawing it in a, in a 3D model, you're going to have to think about it, right? Um, so figuring out even as simple as, you know, I have to design differently now. Um, was even a big change, not only just going from a manager, but also going from an architect who just does it all the way through to an architect who just designs up front, proofs on the back end, um, and does some stuff in the in the middle. It's um, that was was a change that I also was completely unaware that would be uh, necessary to happen. And 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 how do you keep your your um your quality standards up as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're just, and just to let everybody know, uh, Kevin and his firm, they design custom modern architecture. So they, right. these are one-off projects. These are not, mm -hmm. you know, traditional homes that have the same details and the same moldings in every house. Every house and every project they're doing is new and unique and different. Right. Um, and so how do you, how do you let that middle piece go Mm -hmm. um, and keep the standard up at the level that you expect it to be. Sure. It, well, what's interesting is I found that it actually the standard has actually gone up um, because of the extra time that we have. So before it was a lot of okay, here's a project and you kind of design it through, but the, because of your limited time, you can't try as many iterations of certain things. You can't go as deep as, as many things. So it's, it's really a trial and error back and forth process through that middle of, okay, here's a moment that I want to, uh, I want to do something different or special in or whatever. Let's do up some options, sketch a few things on the board, model them out, and then let's look at them together. Um, so it's, it's a lot more of an iterative process now than before where it was a sort of a single path all the way through. Now we have the flexibility and the opportunity to try a lot more things, which I think has, if anything, made uh, the quality uh, better in that we're able to work things out with more detail and more time um, with that back and forth process. 
Yeah, and you're developing new systems. I'm just just right. as a default of having somebody there and having to learn how to work with this person and keep the standard where you want it to be. Um, your systems are being created just through that process. Are you documenting those systems so as you grow, um, it makes that process easier? Or do, you, um, or do you not still not have the time to do that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's an official documentation. I mean, we, we, we keep basic logs of what we're doing, um, you know, timesheets and a you know, specific task and the time. And, but there's no sort of specific system in place where, okay, you're definitely going to do this and then I'm going to definitely do this. It's sort of that has been more tricky to do because of the range of projects that we work on. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're doing, a, you know, a, just an interior renovation versus a 5,000 square foot custom house, there's a lot different stuff that you have to do, right, for those those kind of projects. Um, so it's, we have gotten a little bit more specific with differentiating, you know, new builds from reno additions to renos and, you know, city lots versus mountain or desert lots. You know, we do have different um sort of pathways for each of those projects. Um, but, uh, nothing in the sort of day to day that I would say is a, is a system. Having, having these, this employee and now two employees coming into your house, how important is it to, uh, how important is the, the personality of these people The you know, sort of the background mm-hmm. of, the, of who they are and, and, and their, you know, whether you like them or not, you know, that, that yeah. personal connection, how important is that? And, and what did you do to make sure that did work or, or did you just get lucky? I would say probably more of the lucky part the second employee actually is the person that we had working part-time. Okay. So that one we had tr- tried out. Um, the first employee was just more of luck. Um, but it's definitely, you know, I kind of liken it to having a roommate, Um, you know, when you go to college and you kind of feel them out and figure out how, what works, what doesn't work, you know, there's never going to be, um, you know, it's rare enough to, you know, with, uh, to find your, your, your wife that you want to live with forever, nevertheless, some other person. Right. Um, and you're with that person eight hours a day in your house. Right. So, um, there's definitely, um, uh, a learning curve to that, uh, figuring out how you work and, and your schedules and, um, just, you know, you know, what you're going to listen to or, you know, just the, the, the simple things, uh, throughout the day. Um, but it, it definitely is a, is a large transition to just, again, bringing in someone, uh, to be there day to day. But I will say one thing that it has helped is I think it's made us more accountable for our, for our, for every minute that we work. Um, when it's just you, you don't, have that accountability necessarily other than just other than just to yourself you know how it is like if you're working it's very easy at a you know if you're not feeling it or whatever to just kind of check out a little bit um you don't really have that opportunity uh anymore um so i think it's 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 definitely upped our game to have someone else there pushing us and i think you know, after a certain time working for yourself, sometimes it's nice to, to add something new to the mix to, to up, to, to challenge you and, and, uh, change the way, make you look at yourself and how you're working and what you can do better as well when you're looking at someone else. Yeah, exactly. It holds you accountable. Those systems have to be eventually built if you want to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and by having employees come in, it sort of forces you to, to develop those standards and to build those systems and, um, it, you had mentioned earlier that, um, you're outgrowing the house. So, yeah. so what, what is the plan for the next step? The next step is we're adding an addition to our house and we will have an office as part of that, but it'll be accessed from the exterior. So it's, it's attached to the house, but it's not really attached to the house. Yeah. Um, so that we can have a separate entrance for the employees to come in. Uh, which sort of makes the house private and a home again, and then turns that into just a dedicated office. Will you have um, clients come to that office as well? Probably not. We've never worked that way. We, yeah. be, being in residential, we really like to um, go to the site 
um, which, whether it's an existing home or a, a plot of land. And then if not, we go to coffee shops. Being in a city, it's pretty easy to do. Um, we actually kind of like the separation of this is our, this is our home. Um, so we've, we've, we've never really wanted to have clients or vendors specifically over, uh, to the house. Um, so we try to keep that separate. Uh, so it's just purely for, for working. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your plan for the future? How big do you want to get and how many employees do you imagine you have? Oh, it's so hard to say, you know, I, if you asked me and maybe you did five years ago, I don't even know if I, what, what number I would have said. So, um, you, you know, I like, I like the, the pace at which we're growing. I, um, I don't ever see it being a super large firm, but you know, if good work continues to come in, that's typically just, the um, the deciding factor is we, we do get a lot of inquiries where we, we get probably one a week or so. Um, and so we are fortunate to be able to pick and choose the type of jobs we get. So if the type of jobs and the quality of those jobs continue to uh, be better and better, then we're definitely open to um, taking the steps to be able to uh, achieve those projects uh, for our clients. There are some people listening right now who are in the position you were in, where they're mm-hmm. working by themselves and they, and they know they need to hire somebody, but they're afraid to hire. They don't know what the first step is. What advice do you give that person that's listening right now who, who needs to take that step but just doesn't know what to do? Hmm. Um, I would say definitely, I mean, it's very cliche, but don't wait for the perfect moment um, because you, there's always reasons not to. Um, I would say the, the second you feel like you've got enough work for whatever amount of time that, you know, if you're tracking the way that you get jobs, you should be able to sort of figure out, uh, sort of project your quarter to, to um, half year to annual uh, projections. When you feel comfortable with that, I would just say, just do it. And you, you had mentioned that you had a buffer. What, what type of buffer do you recommend? We are fortunate enough to have a year buffer. Um, I mean, obviously we would like to make more than, the, the sort of base that we put for ourselves into that buffer, but we felt very comfortable with that. So you had, um, you had 12 months of employee salary saved before you hired them? Yeah, there's ours and expenses. So you had full full expenses, including yes. your expense. Okay. Correct. All right, that's, that's good to know. All right, cool. Well, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it is great to hear your story and, and to sort of hear the update on the ranch mine and um, uh, hear where you are, because I think there are a lot of people in this community who are right there. You know, that's what this community is. They're, they're sole practitioners and they're very small firms. And, you know, there are thousands of people in your position right now who don't know what to do. And so I appreciate you sharing your story and, and giving some advice and some, some, uh, some background on what you're doing and how you're doing it. So uh, I appreciate it. No, thanks Mark. Let me uh, let me ask you our question that we ask everybody. What's one one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Hmm. So I, I didn't think about this one yet because I've answered it I think twice before. But let me see it. See if I can wrap one into what we talked about today. Um, I think you know from a simple business point of view, you know, look at your search. Put the items in place to where you can track uh, as consistently as you can your billing and your workload so that you can accurately project where you're going. I think if you can figure out the lulls, the heights, why they're happening, why they're not happening, um, I think a lot of times we think it's just kind of random whenever someone's going to contact us, but it's not really. Um, We've been tracking it now for for about six to seven years, and you can really start to see patterns. And if you can sort of find what that pattern is and then feel comfortable enough to make that jump, then do it immediately and just kind of jump in and do it. And I think that will really, uh, you know, someone I think on one of the recent episodes had a very similar mindset to that I have is, you know, what's the worst that can happen is always what I, is always what I asked myself. I forget which episode it was, but, 
you know, that's, I, I always ask myself that question with everything that we do and, you know, ask yourself that question. And, 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 uh, you know, when you look at those projections, if you can make it work for a certain amount of time, then, then what's the harm in doing a, a trial run? You know, it doesn't have to be forever. I think a lot of times you think, oh, this is my life now. You know, it doesn't have to be forever. People know, you know, if you can't afford to pay them, then they'll move on somewhere else. Um, especially in this economy, there's a lot of jobs out there. So I think, you know, doing a trial, maybe even doing that part-time thing where you just start to get your feet wet and see what kind of systems and if it helps you at all. But I do think that having the everyday is way more efficient than having the part-time. Yeah. Yeah. Track your patterns is really good advice, you know, to, to track, track your, the processes that you go through and the the people, you know, the projects that come in and the inquiries that come in. So you can start planning on what you're, what you're going to do in the future, because that will help you set up for that employee. You know, that, that if you understand how your business works, um, then you, you'll be more prepared to, uh, to start with, with a new employee. So I appreciate that. That's, that's good advice. Um, on the web, it's the ranch mine, M I N E.com. The ranch mine, go check it out. Great website, great work, beautiful architecture. Um, uh, on Instagram, it's the ranch mine official. Somebody must have grabbed the ranch mine on you. Unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go find that person. Um, and so those are the great, those are the best places you definitely follow, follow cabin on, uh, on Instagram. Really interesting feed and uh sort of f- follows his process you do stories too right yeah i do stories occasionally yeah yeah, yeah. so Kevin, i appreciate you for being here and thanks for sharing your knowledge here at entree architect podcast well thanks for having me mark just again i love your podcast and it's you know it's been probably six years now that i've been listening to it and it gets uh, it gets better every year so uh really appreciate what you're doing for the community yeah you're welcome thank you for that i appreciate that of course But before we wrap up here, I have a, a few little items here. I'm in New York City, so if you find me, if you see me, please come say hi. I love uh, meeting you, and I want to meet you and say hello. So if you see me, definitely tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, I know you. You're Mark R. LePage. You do Entree Architect Podcast. So definitely reach out and say hello to me. Please share this episode. This is episode 225, entrearchitect.com slash episode 225 is, is the link to share. Post it on Facebook, post it on Twitter, post it on Instagram, email it to your friends, tell everybody you know. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 225 is the link to share. Uh, also, definitely check out my friends, Arcaspeak, Arcaspeak podcast and Inside the Firm podcast. Uh, I think two-thirds of the ArcaSpeak crew are here at the conference, so look for them as well. Tell them I said that you should say hi to them. Uh, and the guys from and inside the firm, they're still over in Colorado. So, you know, where are you guys? You need to be coming out. Definitely check out ArcaSpeak pod- podcast uh, and inside the firm podcast. Search it up on iTunes and then wherever else you listen to uh, to podcasts. And while you're there, subscribe, subscribe to the Entree Architect podcast and go to Facebook right now. EntreeArchitect.com slash group will get you there. The Entree Architect community on Facebook. It's a free private group. It is the most interactive, most supportive, most encouraging, most positive place on the internet for small firm architects. You post a question, you will get an abundance of answers from experienced and encouraging and enthusiastic small firm architects all in there working together to make the world a better place. EntreeArchitect.com slash group. Come join us. It's a lot of fun. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect. If you see me, say hi, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. The one that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.